everybody. Welcome to another Comic Boom Comic Source Collaboration. This is your DC Spotlight for the week of October 18th, 2023. Uh, about eight books to talk about today. Uh, overall, I don't know. Nothing really jumped out at me. There's a couple decent books, a couple debuts that were pretty solid. Um, but nothing that was like momentous this week in terms of, you know, uh, big debuts like Wonder Woman 1, Flash 1, or event type stuff. Uh, no Gotham War issue this week. So Rock yeah. and I won't be debating the the vagaries <laughs> of that, which always gets us going. Um, but yeah, overall, I just, I, yeah, I thought it was an okay week. I kind of needed a week like this, a little little gentler, if you will, because I got a lot going on in uh, in real life. So uh, how did you think the week was overall, Rock? Yeah, it was, it was, it was an easier read this week, fortunately. And it's, uh, it's Thanksgiving here in Canada. So I, I had I enjoyed that. And I just, it, it didn't take, quite as long for me to read the comic books this week and uh but i did uh, i actually did enjoy them i did you know i don't i can't say necessarily any one particular one stood out but uh overall they're not i can't say this week that i can't i, I can't say i read any one and i can't say that any of them were were bad i i, enj I enjoyed them uh, a, a very you know all of them were a tad above mediocrity. Some some were much better. There's at least two that I really really enjoyed, and uh, we'll get into it. And uh, yeah, so we shall see. Yeah, it was like the lowers, the, the lows were not as low as they can be at times, but also the highs weren't as high as they can be at sometimes. So yeah, it was kind of an even keel, and no anthologies this week, which I think made made it. Uh, easier as well. So yes. uh, we'll kick it off with uh, World's Finest Teen Titans number four, written by Mark Wade. The art is by Emanuela Lupacchino. Colors by Jordi Belair, Steve Wands on letters. For those not familiar, we've mentioned this before, how this is sort of uh, a coming together or early days of the Teen Titans, but as if that happened recently in the recent past, not in the 60s. So they come together, social media is a thing, cell phones are a thing and what have you. Uh, and basically, this issue is a sleepover at Wally West's house with Roy Harper and Garth, uh, Aqualad, and Speedy, basically. So a little bit of a – I guess there's a reason they call it fish out of water, right? It really is literally appropriate for Garth here. A uh, fish out of water story where things are a little different. His parents are like, oh, why, why does all this guy ever drink his water? Spends a lot of time in the bathroom, probably in the bathtub, unbeknownst to them. So that's a little <laughs> little weird, played for a little bit of comedic effect. And then we've got Wally, who, uh, or, or uh, uh, Roy, rather, who, it's interesting the understanding that Garth and Wally have about Roy and why he can be abrasive and kind of over the top and a little bit egocentric, uh, because Wally's parents are a little, they're not impressed. They're not impressed by Roy. They, they notice those same sort of personality traits that, that can be construed as negative. And it's interesting, Garth, who puts up with a lot of crap from Roy, come, comes out and defends him. And Wally as well saying, you know, he acts that way because he just doesn't get enough attention from his his ward, his mentor, you know, Oliver Queen. And, you know, if he had parents like you guys, who knows how he might be, which I find interesting, right? Because for me, the Wally West parents that I'm uh, sort of versions of his parents that I most identify with is from the 1987 flash run coming out of Christ on infinite earth. When his mother, uh, I think was his, I think it was his father, right? They ended up being a manhunter and his mother was very abrasive. And anyway, it was com complete dysfunction. If you go back and read the sixties kid flash stuff, it's very, 
Ward and June Cleaver. If anybody, I'm probably dating myself talking about Leave it to Beaver, but it, it's very much the whole wholesome 1950s type family. Uh, and it's a little more of that here as opposed to the dysfunctional family uh, dynamic that Wally had, like I said, in that uh, 87 series. But I kind of, uh, I kind of like this version better because Wally, for the most part, is a pretty well-adjusted guy, you know, family man of his own. So uh, I liked this. I liked the characterization that Wade gave us for these three members of the Titans. And the fact that there isn't actually – there's no supervillain. There's no fight. This is all about the relationship between these characters and the un, the understanding of these characters. Uh, and then at the end, we do get a little uh, scene with Mal, um, Bumblebee as well and uh mal being attacked or uh, bumblebee rather being attacked and mal using uh, the the original shield of the guardian um for the golden age uh, you know newsboy legion and what have you to uh, to team up with uh <coughs> with bumblebee to take on this this guy who shows up uh, the at ant. the last second the, the ant, ant right, <laughs> right that shows up and he's being directed by by someone uh we yeah. see on the last panel um who, when Ant calls him boss, he goes, you're not, you're, you don't get to call me that yet. You haven't, you know, paid your dues. The price of admission of my team is a, a dead Titan. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, I'm going to look it up right now because I'm not sure, but is it, I, I thought, I always thought this was a limited series, but is this an ongoing? Do you know? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, yeah. uh, I, I would think, uh, I would almost think I, I hope it's an ongoing my, myself, although it does feel like a, a setup of sort of establishing the like you said, establishing the initial characters, like the the insights and the personalities of the various early days of the Titans. So I thought uh, uh, I have a feeling this is going to continue because Mark Wade is continuing to do just a great job establishing the history of these characters and the character work here in this issue, as you said, is just it's it's really, really good. I never actually made. Uh, the, the connections and the and the foundations of, of what we've always known about these characters, but we've known from older stories, from from stories where they've been older reflecting back, really. And for, you know, in particular with, with Wally, to be honest with you, I, I don't ever remember reading Wally's parents before. I can't remember the last, I can't remember the last comic book story I saw Wally West's parents, to be honest. And uh, to meet them here again, or, or remind, I feel like I'm meeting them for the first time, which is probably appropriate because in a sense, we, we really are because we're meeting them for a new generation of readers. And even though I'm not a new generation of a reader, this is clearly written for a new generation of readers and it works and it does a really good job. And you really see how these, these three characters, you know, just, how the Titans are really coming together. And you nailed it when you talked about how Mark Wade here, uh, you know, puts forth the uh, relationship and how, how Garth and Wally understand Roy Harper so well. Roy Harper buys a great big, big screen TV while they're playing video games and uh, all the flashy lights of the video games. Garth can't stand it because he's from, he's uh, because he's from uh, Atlantis and he's used to things being a little bit more dull and muted and he can't even walk upstairs properly because he's used, he's used of course to swimming and moving in water and all these little subtle things that Wade does to convey the, the frustrations of these characters despite the fact that they're superheroes and you think of them as being great and being really better than the rest of us in many ways they're in, in many ways particularly Garth is even 
really more hamstrung than the rest of us trying to fit in, given where he's from. And uh, it really it really bodes well. Combine this with the previous issues with Garth's uh, frustrations and, and difficulties dating Donna. <laughs> and even Donna here, who ends up going to a demolition derby and, and Dick Grayson, like, oh, my God, Donna, what are you doing? Calm down. She's like, Donna's always like she's so hyper firing on all cylinders. Garth's the exact opposite. And yet they're dating because they're both from different worlds and you think they should have something in common, but they don't. And man, so much is, is packed into this issue. So much character work that I actually didn't care that there wasn't a heck of a lot of action. There was a little bit of action at the end with the ants showing up, but really I thought this was uh, really well done. Character work is pulling me in. I'm falling in love with the Teen Titans all over again for a new generation. So Mark Waite's definitely doing, doing his job here. Yeah, I did confirm it is only six issues, just like the, um, the other tales of the Teen Titans where each issue focuses on a different character to kind of give uh, new readers a chance. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it continues, uh, if it's selling well. I have a feeling I'm going to mention, I was going to mention at the end, I'll mention it now. Um, a, a Ram V responded to uh, a tweet I put up last week uh, about the vigil. Uh, and he said, yeah, just wait till you see the end of the first arc. I was like, wait, he didn't say the end of the series, right? Cause we know it's supposed to be six <laughs> issues. So fingers crossed New York comic-con is this week. I really hope we get an announcement at New York comic-con that the vigil is continuing. Cause Oh my Fair God. That book's so yeah, we, we, it's happened before, right? It happened with Rom V swamp thing. It happened with poison Ivy, G Willow Wilson, Marcio Takara. So entirely possible if this, uh, World's Finest Teen Titans sells well that they'll they'll continue it. And I, I would welcome that because like Rocky said, I, I, I love this iteration of the Teen Titans. I, I love the idea of updating their early days so those early days are during more modern times as opposed to – like if you go back and read some of those 60s Teen Titans wow. stories, they are very dated. Not just in terms of being kind of simple, silver agey, but just like the language and the uh, – you know, the, the supposed to be about teens, right, that are – where everything is sort of topical and they use the right appropriate slang and that sort of stuff, man, you go back and read that uh, stuff. It's just very much of its time. So, uh, okay. Up next, we have Batman and Robin number two from writer Joshua Williamson, Simone DeMeo on art and cover Steve Wands on letters. Um, yeah. Where to start with this. My biggest problem with this, it's not that I don't like the story that's being told. It's not like that. I don't like the relationship between, Damien and Batman. It, it's kind of a, a more loving relationship, a, a relationship that's like a little more lived in, like in terms of, I almost feel like this is a relationship the way Damien and, and Bruce would talk to each other. If Damien had like had sort of a more normal childhood, right? Like born, yeah. you know, mother lived in the mansion the whole time. Father, and this is the way he grew up. It's, it's a very much more comfortable as opposed to the relationship that they, have in most other places where it's a little more antagonistic at times, um, at times more so than others. Uh, seems like they've really put that behind him in the pages of the Robin series that Joshua Williamson previously did. The problem is, so this characterization, while I like this dynamic relationship, uh, the dynamic uh, and the relationship that they have in this story, it doesn't really seem to fit in with anywhere else. It seems kind of sort of seems out of the blue and it doesn't really seem to fit in with, with continuity. The other thing is, as much as I enjoy Simone DeMeo's um, dynamic artwork, the, I think it's the coloring on this that's not doing it for me, where I'm having to invest a little more time looking at panels and trying, like, what am I looking at? Trying to figure out what's going on. It's not, it's not that instant 
kind of impact where I can understand the panels. Maybe maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just my own personal preference. But the the blues and the pinks and the light kind of palette pastel colors he's using just aren't really working for me. I, sometimes I really struggle to understand what's going on uh, in the art. I, I take full responsibility for that. But the art and the colors for me, Simone's coloring himself, it's just not really working for me. It's just not digging the the pastel pinks and greens and blues. Um, I do want to know who this shush character is kind of interesting. What ties and relationships she may have to Bruce's past where we know hush has ties and, uh, and relationship to that. It's, I also enjoyed the high school stuff with, uh, with Damien. It's not the most original thing to do from Williamson. You know, we've seen it done before, maybe even some seen it done better. Um, Tim Drake, old school nineties, Tim Drake with his issues with high school and trying to balance high school life and high school social life with superhero crime fighting, um, uh, brings back fond memories. So I am enjoying this, but it, it's not, for me, it's not living up to the potential that it could. And part of it has to do with the, the, the continuity stuff. That's just really wonky. And when I say continuity stuff, I mean, in terms of the relationship dynamic between Bruce and Damien overall, but if you start looking at how things are during Gotham War, with Bruce being totally off his rocker, as we talked about recently, then it it's really not fitting in at all. Because this is supposed to be taking place during Gotham War, is my understanding. That's how DC marketed it. It really doesn't fit in there. Um, so then, you know, if I think about that too much, then it really starts to fall apart. So I try not to put it in that context. I'm trying to think of this as happening before or after Gotham War. But even in that context, this this relationship dynamic, while, again, I enjoy it, uh, I kind of wish that this was the relationship that Damien and Bruce always had. It just doesn't seem to, to fit in with any the previous uh, depiction of their relationship that I've, that I've read in comics anyway. So, um, so yeah, this for me is, it has its good points and bad points, a little bit of an up and down series for me so far, but we are only two issues in, so maybe it'll, uh, it'll improve. But again, part of that's just my own personal taste on the art work. So uh, what were your thoughts, Rocky? Uh, I didn't mind it. I it, I agree with you. You have to disconnect this from Gotham War because it's more enjoyable. I, I actually like the I like the the improved. It, it clearly seems to be an improved relationship between Damien and Bruce Wayne. I kind of like that because uh, we're getting a lot of an we're getting a crazy Batman and an insane uh, a, a crazy Bruce Wayne and Batman with between Barbados and the Batman of Zerina <laughs> over in the other Bat titles. So it's kind of nice to have this. It's more of a family title. I I, I like it. I like the uh, the Simon DeMeo art. He's not my favorite artist, but he's you know he's. Well, he he works with coloring here, and sometimes I, I'm double checking on the panels myself. Uh, but I I will say that there was a there was a sequence where Damien was in school, and he imagines beating up some bullies that he didn't like in school, and and the coloring did change during that sequence. And so I I, I did get the sense that you know you know Simon DeMeo working with the colors, uh, you know he does convey enough of the story conveyed well enough that 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 I enjoyed it. His style is a little bit different, but, but it worked. It's still, it's still pretty, pretty good. I, I think overall I'm getting used to it. I, uh, we, last issue, uh, we were, 
uh, we were reintroduced uh, to White Rabbit. We haven't seen her in a while. White, White Rabbit was defeated trying to steal uh, a Zeppelin with this Dr. Kefire on board, who was an expert in DNA sequencing. And apparently White, uh, White Rabbit was working put at the behest of Shush, this new character, Shush, which if you're reading any solicitations, I'm guessing related to Hush in some way. A little bit cliche, but this Shush character who is actually on one of the uh, – is on one of the uh, – the covers, the alternate covers, uh, is uh, looks interesting enough, I suppose. Looks exactly like her, well, presumably her father. But what is uh, what does Hush want with this DNA sequencing? Uh, I'm not. It's not really clear uh, ex- exactly. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Killer Croc, Orca, Man Bat, uh, th- they're involved in this. Uh, uh, Shush is attacking Batman and, and Robin uh, and uh, at the very beginning, and she attacks them with bats, and Batman and Damien have this moment where Damien doesn't want his father to hurt the bats, and so he doesn't. And this is juxtaposed uh, with a scene at the beginning of the of the, of the, of the of the comic where a younger Damian Wayne is talking to one of his old teachers, a mistress harsh who is telling him to, you know, dispense with your emotions. Don't let your feelings get in the way of what needs to be done. And so we're, uh, Williamson is giving us some flashbacks of a young Damian to perhaps explain what Damian has to overcome to get more in touch with himself and get in touch with the very emotions that his early teachings that we never saw much of, uh, uh, were ingrained into him. So, uh, Overall, I, I I think this this it's interesting enough. I'm still not really interested in Shush. I'm not interested in the character so far. She we don't, but we don't know much about her in Williamson's defense. So we'll have to see where the story takes us. But uh, uh, so overall, it's uh, you know, like I said, it's it wasn't a bad issue. It just never really it didn't like blow me away or anything. Didn't really reveal anything new. But it but it, but I would say I was entertained. It was it was good. It just wasn't great. Yeah, it's a good point with what craziness we have going on in detective comics with Barbados and the insanity of Gotham World. <laughs> that this this title, which seems to be a different character dynamic, relationship dynamic between Bruce and Damien than we've ever seen, is maybe actually the best Batman title, the most normal, uh, the easiest to read. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Up next, we have Wesley Dodds, The Sandman, number one, from writer Robert Venditti. Art is by Riley Rosmo, colors by Yvonne Placencia, letters by Tom Napolitano. Uh, give us your thoughts on this one. Well, uh, this deals with Wesley Dodds, the Sandman. And of course, we were introduced, or I guess again, reintroduced to Sandman in the pages of, of Night Terrors. Uh, Wesley Dodds was resurrected by uh, by. I guess dead man in order to help defeat insomnia. And that's essentially exactly what happened. But at the end of night terrors, Wesley Dodd went, went back into his grave to essentially, you know, rest in peace as it were. Uh, One of the questions I had going into this series was what was DC going to do? Was this going to be, was Sandman going to be resurrected again? And was this going to be the adventures of Sandman in the modern day DCU? Or are these going to be the adventures uh, of Wesley Dodds back in the 1940s, and as it turns out, it's it's Wesley Dodds back in the 1940s. First thing that stands out to me, I want to give a compliment to writer, oh, pardon me, artist, while well, writer too, Robert Venditti, he does a good job. I enjoyed this story. Uh, it was a little bit by the numbers, but the art, Riley Rosmo, I thought Riley Rosmo, I don't know if I'm going crazy, but he he continues to get better. 
His art's getting better. I think this is the best his art's been in a while. I think, I think he's, I mean, even on the opening page, I mean, with, with Sandman showing up and it says fog of war, the name of the title and it, and it's with the smoke. It's very well done. His, his details on the, the backgrounds are amazing. He does a lot of detailed work in the backgrounds, regardless of where the scene takes place and just really creative works. There's one even in the, there's even a page where the Sandman is standing up and his overcoat is there and all the panels are within the overcoat is just very well done we get a we get a snapshot we, we get a we get an overview of what the sandman is dreaming about what wesley dodds is, is dreaming about in the 1940s and he's dreaming about adventures with the justice society that he hasn't even met yet he meets one of the the only member of the justice society that he meets for the first time in this opening s issue is rex tyler who he doesn't even know is uh, our man but he meets him in this issue and this really establishes wesley dodds as a young as a young scientist who's in love with a woman by the name of diane who's uh, and uh he, he wants to he's got ideas of using fear gas or a f form of his not fear gas, but a form of his sleep gas in order to uh, use it in warfare to essentially put the enemy to sleep. Why kill the enemy? Why not just incapacitate them by putting them to sleep? But this is a proposal that's rejected, rejected by, uh, you know, uh, a, one of the generals that he approaches in the story. Uh, uh, there, we we meet a lot of new characters. This Colonel Breckenridge, Diane Belmont, his his lover. We meet uh, uh, one of the one of his benefactors, uh, Mr. Wheeler Vanderbile or Vander Vanderlyle, and uh, I, I was I was quite impressed. There's Robert Rossi is the is the is the mobster boss. We're hinted that there's a serial killer in this story called Tarantula, and I'm not sure if that serial killer is supposed to be the Tarantula that sometimes was a Justice Society of America member. I, I can't imagine that's the same tarantula, but in any event, we, there's a lot, again, there's a lot packed in here. Robert Venditti's done a really good job here of getting my, you know, I'm, I'm interested in this story because we're, we're, we're getting, this is, it's like we're getting the origins. This might be a backward way of, or backdoor way of getting us into a, a, a different perspective on the origin of the justice society through the eyes of Sandman, because in, in particular, it is with Sandman since he wants to he wants to use he he, he wants to use his his abilities to uh, you know like his sleep gas and he, and his in the fact that he's having these dreams and his, his father had dreams of, of a world that was going to destroy itself uh, between science and, and war and everything else and, and so he wants to he wants to redeem he wants to make the world a better place and he's gonna he's having a difficult time doing that he feels like a failure but he's got this the love of his life this Diane Belmont who's you know she's his, basically his Lois Lane and this this has a mixture of. Uh, a crime raw feel. This has a mixture of a little bit of Batman because he's he even got uh, Wesley Dodds even has a butler named Humphreys, so that's his Alfred. So we're getting a mixture of crime raw, of of Slam Bradley, of Bruce Wayne, of Batman, of uh, a little bit of the elements of the shadow in there. The way the Sandman shows up and you know he and he utters those phrases. You know uh, uh, what does he say? He says, uh, um, oh, "I'm I'm going to get." Uh, Ah, it's not important, but but what what he screams at the bad guys when he shows up? Justice is the business of the Sandman. You know, it's it just reminds me a little bit of the Shadow. So overall, I I just thought this this really had all the elements that I would want in an opening issue, and no, no matter what you liked about the if you liked anything about the Justice Society Sandman Wesley Dodds, I, I'd be so I'd be so surprised if someone didn't really enjoy this issue. 
Now, artist, now maybe with the art, but again, I thought the art worked. The art I thought worked well enough for me. I, I think the art, Riley Rosmo has done a, a really good job here. It, uh, I don't see, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I don't see people turning away from this issue because of the art, I, I, in my view. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we've been uh, maybe a little overly harsh on Riley in the past. His his art style is very uh, stylized and maybe just takes a, a little getting used to. I agree with you. He's the right choice for the series. I love the whole Fog of War title as well that was in the, the Sleep Gas. The other thing that's really great about him is, you know, you think about Sandman, you think about the Sleep Gas, you think about dreams. Things can get pretty sort of wild and fantastical in dreams, right? Like the the laws of physics themselves don't even apply, even less so than they do in uh, in comics. So he's a great choice to do the art for the series for that reason. But the other thing that he's really, really good at, and I, I know some people don't you know, necessarily enjoy his facial expressions or his anatomy, because again, it can be, it's not like photorealistic or anything. It can be exaggerated anatomy. It can be exaggerated facial expressions, but it's in order to convey emotion and feeling. And so in my mind, he's the right person uh, to do that because uh, this issue, you know, there's not a whole heck of a lot of action in terms of, you know, Sandman taking somebody on other than in kind of flashbacks or insets or what have you. Um, But what we do get is a lot of character work and a great introduction to who Wesley Dodds is as a person, like outside of his costume, outside of his uh, career as a sort of a, a mystery man, right? That's what these heroes were called. Doesn't have any superpowers. Mystery man because it was a mystery of who they were, right? So his his role as an adventurer, as a mystery man, uh, we don't get a lot of that. We get more of who Wesley does is as a person, get introduced to him. And when he's talking to his manservant, when he's talking to his girlfriend, when he's talking to this uh, benefactor, Wheeler, uh, Vanderlyle, or, or the the person, the the I think it was a colonel in the or could have been a general in I think it was a colonel though who was supposed to pass it on to a general when he's talking to him in the war department about um, yeah you can use my sleep gas we can have non lethal war and it, it's kind of like you think that would be something you would aspire to right uh, like I would think so uh, but of course this current well how okay what happens when after you put him to sleep then we got to house him we got to transport him we got to take care of him the artist wants to be it's easier just to kill him. It's such a terrible, callous attitude, but it also feels very, very realistic even back then, maybe more so now. The facial expressions as Wesley Dodds is hearing this are done very, very well. You can sort of see his angst, see his consternation. And so, uh, yeah, I think Riley Rosmo was an an incredible artist, uh, a great choice for that. In terms of the story, and I've kind of touched on already getting to know Wesley Dodds as, as a person, right? Like get us invested in who the person is. So that when he starts to have these adventures as Sandman, we care that much more. It's a good point you're making about um, getting to see the formation of the Justice Society through the lens of Sandman. I, I didn't read Sandman Mystery Theater back in the day, Vertigo title. I don't know if it ever had a story like that. Um, but Robin Venditti is, uh, you know, he's a comic book fan. He's one of us. Uh, he did a fantastic job sort of cleaning up the continuity of Hawkman, maybe better than anybody had ever done it before. Um Wesley Dodds, Sandman doesn't have anywhere near that sort of convoluted um, backstory or, or origin, but that's not to say that Venditti hasn't gone back and read all the Sandman stuff, not to say he's not invested in the character, not to say he's not somebody who can put a, a, a new modern spin on some of those old ideas and introduce them to a whole new generation. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Robert's work. 
I'm a huge fan of what he's doing here. Uh, and yeah, the Riley Rosmo art really works for this series. So I was very impressed with this debut issue and uh, I'm very invested. Can't wait to read the, the next issue. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on. Danger Street number 10 is up next. Chapter 10, The Outsiders from writer Tom King. Jorge Fornes is the artist. Dave Stewart on colors. Clayton Cowell on letters. Bit of a, a connectivity issue here. Um, maybe because <laughs> the last issue, you know, we, we discussed how it was just focused on Codename Assassin and the Manhunter. And we, we didn't get any other plot threads of anything else that's been going on. So this one, it kind of jumps around and touch on all those other pl plot threads, right? We get Lady Cop. We get uh, the Dingbats of Danger Street. We get some Warlord. We get some Starman. We get some Creeper and some Green Team. Like, it it, it touches on everybody. Uh, and also, I should mention uh, High Father and, uh, and Dark Side, obviously, uh, and even Orion at, at one point. So it's kind of a, a check-in issue, if you will. Okay, we focused on something completely different last issue. Here's a reminder of where all the different parts of the story, all these different plot threads that, that seem to be um, separate, that seem to be disparate, uh, where they all are. We know they're all going to come together um, because toward the end of the issue, the outsiders who we finally saw show up uh, a few issues ago, actually assault the last remaining member of uh, the green team. Jack Ryder, the creeper uh, happens to be there as well. So, you know, what happens next uh, really is going to dictate how the series wraps up probably because it is a powerful scene. You know, these outsiders who uh, the green team for, you know, whatever reason has been disparaging and using all of their uh, power and influence and uh, their ability to, to have this news network to sort of disparage the outsiders, even to the point where Jack Ryder, the creeper himself is thinking of, of the outsiders as this, you know, incredibly uh, evil organization and very malevolent and what have you. And then he, he finally is confronted with them and they're just a bunch of kids that look kind of weird. And he's like, he's, he's laughing, right? I mean, he's a creeper. So he's always laughing to some extent, but he's like, like, what are you talking about? He, like, this this is the danger that you the, the green team had me espousing like this is the threat these guys aren't a threat at all which again it's sort of um it's a tom king book so there's always going to be subtext of, of politics right even that name outsiders in term terms of you know talking about whether it's uh, illegal aliens or immigrants or what have you you know that's that's sort of the the feeling the whole thing news cycle and, and what have you. And so uh, come to find out there's nothing really to be feared from these, uh, these people at all. They're just kids, just kids who happen to be deformed for lack of a better term, these poor kids. So really interesting context um, doesn't move the plot forward a whole heck of a lot. Um, but really it's more about establishing, okay, where is everybody as we're heading into these last two issues? So again, I'm really impressed with, Tom King's ability to take all these characters that debuted in the first issue special of DC uh, way back in the day uh, that are not related at all and create this incredibly cohesive story that's really compelling, uh, very soap opera-esque, right? Where you have a big cast and a lot of different storylines, a lot of different moving parts. And then at various points of the story, you have these events where they all kind of intersect and they're all kind of sharing a moment or sharing a, an event. So uh, incredible job. The Jorge Fornes art uh, in terms of like as superhero art, it's a little understated. 
um, which I appreciate because a lot of these characters are just people. They're just humans. I mean, even the creeper himself doesn't really have superpowers. Obviously, these green team members are sort of deformed and have different abilities, but they're not really superheroes per se. So uh, Fornes, who has done incredible work with Crime Noir in the past and done some great Batman work, he was a perfect artist to do this story. So um, kudos for uh, Tom King realizing that, you know, the, the Rorschach uh, miniseries or maxi series, 12 issue maxi series that they did together is another great example, right? There wasn't any, you know, super powered beans. There wasn't any, you know, Superman or Batman flying around or what have you. It was just a very understated story. Um, and his art worked really well there as well. Uh, and that's certainly the case here. So uh, what'd you think of uh, Danger Street 10? I, I enjoy this issue. I, I remember last issue, you and I, uh, we, we, I guess we disagreed a little bit in terms of the impact of last issue, which was the entire issue was this big fight between Manhunter and Codename Assassin. And I wasn't even sure when it ended, if they were both dead or not. Well, it's confirmed in this issue that they, in fact, are both dead. And it was, I actually found it a, a comical scene where the, where the creeper ends up on the, on the looking down on their both of their corpses, and then he calls upon the last surviving member of the green team say, saying, reporting, by the way, you got these two dead guys on the roof. <laughs> and so this this all leads to a head, and we can't, it, we, we, there's no way we can, we could talk for another two hours summarizing how the plot points got, got here, but ultimately all these players are moving toward one mission now, and that is to find, to acquire uh, the helmet of Dr. Fate and uh, the the outsiders need the, the helmet of Dr. Fate to restore and to undo the curse that they got when they originally as, as children uh, had that crossing had uh, uh, they jumping jumping outside the line game when they did when they were children and because the, the group of children called the Green Team won and the, and the group of children that became known as the Outsiders, they jumped outside the line, they lost, and they were cursed to look like those Outsiders. The, the Outsiders think that the only way to undo the curse is to acquire the Helmet of Dr. Fate because the, the Helmet of Dr. Fate is what the prize was that was given to the Green Team. And, and who was it that, that gave the Helmet of Fate to the Green Team? Maybe it's a minion of Darkseid. Was it the Sod? We're not sure, but we know that suddenly Darkseid here doesn't seem to care. Darkseid sort of smirks. Uh, when when Highfather can't stop this, the, the sky from falling, Darkseid smiles. So you, you got to wonder, is Darkseid the big bad guy after all? He probably is. I think there's some major hints there. Uh, we also know that the, uh, the, 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 um, the, um, the Dingbats of Danger Street, that gang, they want to revive. They need to acquire the fight, fate because they want to revive and resurrect their their buddy Good Looks, and of course uh, Warlord and Star Starman. They also want to revive. They want to save the soul of of, of Young Good Looks as well. And uh, yeah, and but Lady Cop has it. And where's Lady Cop going? It looks like they're all heading toward the same place. And we got two issues left here. So I'm, I'm really excited for this. And for those listening, uh, there's no way that you could pick up this series at issue 10 and know what's going on. You're probably at this point best waiting for the trade and read it in one full uh, sitting and, and get the most enjoyment out of it that way. But for you and I, who've been reading this from the beginning, notwithstanding maybe a little bit of a hiccup for me with the last issue, I've, I've been really enjoying this. And uh, this, I'm, I, I'm so looking forward to see how, how this ends. Yeah, I am too. Uh, Cause again, we, when this got announced, I was like, wait, 
what? How's this going to work? How's this possible going to make sense? But uh, yeah, King's been impressive with the way he's tied these all together. Uh, okay, up next we have the fourth issue of Green Lantern from writer Jeremy Adams, art by Zermonico, colors by Ramula Fajardo Jr., letters by Dave Sharp. Last issue ended with uh, Sinestro confronting Guy Gardner at this diner, I guess, uh, and that's right where this issue uh, picks up. So what do you think of this? I I don't think I, – I never got the sense that a lot happened in this issue, but I want to give Jeremy Adams a lot of credit here for – I really enjoyed the character work. The character work was really good because uh, somehow when you see – what's funny is that you see the flash on the cover – and here's a, here's a question for people. People, to, to test your knowledge of the Flash, the Flash that you see on the cover, is that Wally West Flash or is that Barry Allen Flash? That's a question. I'm not even, I'm not even sure, but I'm, I'm thinking it's Barry Allen because it doesn't matter because no matter what, whether you're a Barry, Barry Allen uh, Flash fan or a Wally West fa- fan, uh, Greenland, or, uh, the, the reality is that Hal Jordan teams up with both Barry Allen and Barry <laughs> Barry Barry Allen and Wally West this issue and uh, the conversation with Sinestro in the bar doesn't go it, it doesn't it's not particularly constructive uh, Sinestro was there with the agenda of, of just threatening to set off sonic explosions so, uh, sonic bombs throughout uh, the Coast City if if uh, unless Hell surrenders his ring. Hell does that knowing that it's useless to Sinestro and Sinestro realizes it's useless, just basically leaves. And then uh, he uses the smokes, he uses the distraction of the sonic bombs uh, to distract Hal. So Hal takes off and manages to contact Wally West. And I thought it was very clever how, how Jeremy Adams sort of scripted how Wally West and Hal defeated, uh, overcame uh, and managed to uh, you know, basically implode and get rid of all the sonic sonic bombs that were throughout the city, and the way that they found them, and it, it was a really good illustration of Green uh, Green Lantern's uh, willpower, along with the speed of the Flash. It shows that these two know each other, uh, both Hal Jordan and Wally West. And then later, when Barry Allen shows up, when they're when they're doing this sort of like uh, Barry Allen helps with the forensic study of the crime scene where Sinestro and some al- other aliens stole some uh, equipment. And killed some guards at Ferris Aircraft. There was it, that basically was a crime scene, and it's, it was good to see Jerry, uh, Jeremy Adams, you know, use the fact that Barry Allen is is an expert in forensics and he's a, he's an investigator to use some of that as well. And what they discover is that clearly there's uh, somebody is stealing alien technology. Alien technology has been used uh, at Ferris Aircraft. And what's the agenda? What exactly is going on? What's the purpose behind all this? Uh, Sinestro clearly wants to get off planet as fast as he can, but he can't yet. He still doesn't have a, a way uh, in which to do that. And um, it's, you know, uh, again, I, I, it, it, the, the issue ends uh, essentially with, uh, well, we, we got we got some action with Barry Allen. Barry Allen and Hal did have a conversation about Carol, and you could you could see the bonding between Barry and Hal, which was very well done by by Jeremy Adams, because I think Hal probably is closer to, to Barry Allen than he is with uh, Wally, and uh, I thought it was, it was just very it was just very well done, and uh, they managed to even take out Major Disaster, who ended up having some tornado technology. So a lot of major villains are acquiring alien tech, so that's a concern. Uh, who's who's providing them the alien tech? We don't know yet, but that's something that uh, we're going to have to find out in future issues. But um, you know, again, I thought the character work was well, 
and we, we did manage to get some action and you know, I, I love Carol Ferris and we're seeing more of the dysfunction of uh, Hal Jordan and Carol Ferris. But we, we this plot did slowly move forward. But, you know, we could have go a little faster, probably. But I'm still on board and uh, I, I like the character work, which is what Jeremy Adams is really good at and continues to improve at. And uh, so what do you think? Yeah, I thought just in terms of who's providing the weaponry. So I, I thought it was the same aliens that uh, worked with Sinestro in the previous issue. Uh, I might be might be wrong on that. I, I thought that's what Sinestro was was threatening them with, the way he got their help. He's like, hey, I'm going to tell the heroes of the planet what you're up to if you don't right. help me, basically. Um, but yeah, it remains to be seen. Um, like why now all of a sudden uh, is this becoming more apparent that this technology is out there? Was it a plan for Sinestro to expose them, um, you know, in a subtle way so that maybe he can get away with things? But he doesn't seem to be sort of sneaking around, which is sort of what we expected, right? And then we were surprised last issue when he just walks right up to Hal. Uh, I appreciated that. You know, you talk about the character work. A lot of times, and we talk about this all the time, DC has this propensity to want to turn their more popular uh, hero or more popular villains into heroes or antiheroes. They get their own title. Uh, a little harder to, to justify giving a title to somebody who's outright evil and killing people. So they, they become sort of these anti-heroes and uh, become a little more marketable, what have you. Jeremy Adams is having none of that, right? This is the Sinestro that I remember from a kid. He's evil. He's diabolical. He shows up. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get off the planet. He wants Hal's ring. Nobody, uh, according to the United Planets, nobody on Earth is supposed to have a functioning lantern ring. Uh, and Sinestro is willing to kill to get what he wants. Again, this is a Sinestro I know. He's planted the the sonic bombs, as Rocky mentioned. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. Hal gives him his ring, and then the ring won't work, right? Hal's like, oh, different ring. He basically created for himself out of his willpower. We've seen Hal do this twice. Robert Venditti uh, had him do it in the pages of Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps way back in the day. Uh, but it was never mentioned or hasn't been mentioned previously that this ring that Hal's created out of his own willpower only works for Hal. That's not the case with other Green Lantern rings, right? When a Green Lantern's killed in action, the ring goes off. Same ring goes, you know, flies off the finger, goes searching for a new host. Um, same thing with the original ring that Hal Jordan got from Abin Sur. Um, that wasn't, you know, it didn't just work for Hal. It worked for Abin Sur, and then later it worked for John Stewart. It worked for Guy Gardner. So the fact that this ring only works for Hal, why is that? What's Sinestro going to do to try to get off the planet now that he's been stopped by uh, Hal Jordan and Barry Allen? So l love that. Love the dynamic. Feels very classically Green Lantern with this really bad guy Sinestro, not just sort of bad guy sometimes Sinestro, leader of the um, Yellow Lantern Corps who's you know left to police his corner of the galaxy as he sees fit. No, this is a bad guy. This is a bad guy. Uh, and then I also just seen the Barry Allen, Hal Jordan dynamic, right? They like, used to be best friends back in the day. Love that friendship. Love the idea that Barry wasn't aware that he, uh, that Hal and um, Carol weren't together. Hey, we should go on a double date with Iris. Oh, we're not together anymore. Wait, what? When did that happen? So I love all that. It's bringing in a lot of a classic feel. If Green Lantern's got to be stuck on Earth, and I hope you all got a chance to listen to my interview with Jeremy Adams about Green Lantern and that pull to the stars that Jeremy discussed. If he's got to be, if Hal's got to be stuck on earth, yeah. Explore these, these sort of classic facets of the Green Lantern lore, you know, the Hal and Barry friendship, 
the Hal and Carol relationship dynamic. Sinestro, bad guy, like truly bad guy. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that. That's fun. It's a little nostalgic. Be curious to hear how it's working for newer readers that didn't read that stuff back in the 80s. Uh, but for me, sort of feels like a little bit of a simplified Green Lantern story right now. We're not out there with all the different Lantern cores and galactic world ending, universe ending, multiverse ending threats. Uh, it feels like a little more of a human story. And I, I very much appreciate that. And there's Zermanico art. It's fantastic. Very dynamic. Um, love his choice to zoom in on various um, parts of Sinestro's face to give it more menace. thought it was done really, really well. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Batman City of Madness. Number well, there, one. There's a backup there. There was a oh, backup. Oh, that's, right. That, that's right. There is a backup that stars uh, Sinestro's son. As far as I know, this is yeah. the first we're hearing of Sinestro's Allegedly. Son. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we know Sinestro has a daughter, Sornik. She's been a member of the Green Lantern Corps. She's been a member of Yellow Lantern. Now it's the first we're hearing uh, of a son who's trying to prove himself as uh, worthy of the Sinestro name. Um, interesting speculator alert, I suppose, if this really is uh, Sinestro's son. The story is... Uh, Written by Peter J. Tomasi, David LaFuente handles the art. Tamara Bonvillon on colors, Rob Lee on letters. I enjoyed this quite a bit. I like this idea of Sinestro having a younger son. It is a very different dynamic for him. Um, I can only imagine he would feel contempt and maybe embarrassment at, at this kid, even though this kid is, for his age and his ability, uh, you know, pretty, pretty capable, I'll say. Uh, the La Fuente art does give it a little bit more of a, an all ages or younger readers feel, though. I'm not sure if he was the right choice, although I, I like the art. Uh, and the primary colors uh, are very dynamic as well. So those uh, I thought that worked as well. So, yeah, hard to give it too much context because we're just at the beginning of the story. But Peter J. Tomasi has shown um, a real propensity for writing younger characters in a, in a really compelling and interesting way, like he did with Super Sons. So, yeah. Uh, I didn't know this was coming and I, I was, uh, I enjoyed it. What'd you think? Yeah, yeah I enjoyed it too. I, it was a complete surprise for me. I don't, I don't even recall this being advertised right out of the blue. We got, you know, this, this kid named Korg, Korg. It's kind of a cool name. Uh, he's basically Korg is some, somehow this kid, this kid Korg, the alleged uh, son of Sinestro ends up on this planet uh, called Exela. And he's a, uh, he's an, he's a, a uh, Kurgarian orphan, obviously, because he's originally from Kurgar. Uh, and uh, he's sort of his, the guy who's caring for him is Nagaf. And uh, Nagaf wants him to basically, basically be his own thief. And uh, Korg is always trying to prove himself. And basically this issue, Korg just try, tries to steal some money from some other thieves. And he steals some creds from some other thieves, but ends up that the cred case he stole ends up being, damaged and so the creds are useless and 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 it ends with him bound and determined to he ends he has a, a gun uh, that looks like a vile gun that that you could uh, remove blood from so he wants to apparently acquire the blood of his father sinestro in order to prove that he's sinestro's son because i, I think it is in, in his mind 
if he proves that he's Sinestro's son, that will give him some meaning and his life some purpose. So there's kind of a tragedy there as well. I'm not sure. I mean, even if Sinestro, Sinestro doesn't, when I think of a father of the year, I don't think of Sinestro by any stretch. So I don't really know if this, I think this kid's in for an awfully big surprise. We just finished reviewing an issue where Sinestro came across as, you know, he's, he's badass evil now. And uh, this kid, Korg, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting because Korg, as you said, the art, La Fuente's art makes him look, you know, it is kind of a an all ages type of feel. Is Korg going to be as 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 devastatingly potentially evil as uh, Sinestro is seems to be going, uh, or has become evil once again? We'll have to wait and see. But you know, couldn't be in better hands. Uh, Peter Tomasi's done a really good job here, and I, I did I did enjoy La, La Fuente's. Uh, uh, art and the coloring uh Tamara Bonvillain's art we it really pops off the screen we're just looking at digital images uh but man the uh, the colors really pop up really popped in this uh in this uh first introduction to Korg son of Sinestro <laughs> so you're on mute there sorry yeah uh, like you said we'll have to see where it goes because uh yeah it definitely definitely has potential uh, all right. Like I was saying, Batman City of Madness has its debut issue. It's written and drawn by Christian Ward, uh, who's been on the show previously, lettered by Hassan Atsman Elhow. This is a black label book. It's out of continuity. And I'm really curious to hear uh, what you thought, Rocky, because a uh, 48-page book, um, <laughs> yeah, there's a big chunk of story here. So what, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah. Uh, well, I actually – I, I enjoy this. This like I, I have nothing. This story. If you told me that this was in continuity, I, I suppose I, I, I guess you know. I, 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 on the surface, I guess I could I could believe it. I mean, uh, this the story is is first of all, I like Christian Ward's art. I think it's I think it's I think it's very. I mean, it, it fits the tone. Uh, you, he's very very clearly setting a, setting up a scenario where uh, he, he's telling two stories that that basically he's telling the story of involving one story involving a secret of the court of owls where they keep where they're hiding this creature under Gotham at bay, and there's an underground flood that that accidentally releases this creature and screws up the machinations of the court of owls. And the other story is this young kid from Smallville who comes to Gotham to, to avenge, to kill a dirty cop who's responsible for killing his father, who just went to Gotham, uh, uh, temporarily went to Gotham a couple of years before. And this kid goes to Gotham with a gun. And that's how this story starts off. We see this kid going to Gotham with a gun and, and ultimately, at the end of this story, what collides is this is this horrific creature. And this horrific creature you end up seeing looks an awful lot like Batman, ironically enough. It actually looks like a twisted version of Batman. And if you look on the on the variant covers uh, that exist for the series, you can actually there's one particular cover that has Batman on the on the left hand side and the right hand side. You see the creature itself, and it almost looks like a like a, a twisted version of Batman with with almost like sort of like branches or growing out of his face. And so what is what is this creature? Why did the Court of Owls want to hide this creature away? And and it's it's really quite fascinating because the Court of Owls because they're there's a traitor within the Court of Owls that they're afraid they can't use their talons. Normally a Court of Owls would use their talons to maybe try to find the creature and bring the creature back and uh imprison the, the creature again but this creature this bat creature for lack of a better way of putting it is ultimately ends up uh in inadvertently 
I think inadvertently saving this kid who's looking for this dirty cop and this kid who ends up finding this dirty cop named McLean or McBean or McKean is this dirty cop's name. And this kid wants to kill this dirty cop, but is uh, this McKean, this officer McKean has his own protection and he's, and is, is going to, this kid is likely going to get killed, but this creature ends up saving this kid and very brutally murders all of the, all of McKean's men. And, and then at the end, it's suggested that this creature might be, might be taking on this kid, this this kid from Smallville as his new Robin. And meanwhile, the Court of Owls looks to Batman because they can't use their talons. The Court of Owls now have to recruit Batman to help them, you know, find this this creature uh, that has escaped. And so like Batman's like, oh, my God, what did you what did you, what did you idiots do now? You and your secrets. That's actually what I'm thinking, not what Batman's thinking, although I'm sure he's thinking the same thing. But um I, I enjoyed this. I, I thought the art worked really well. I like the machinations. We got we got some of the internal machinations of the Court of Owls because the Court of Owls themselves are, were not necessarily in universal agreement as to how to deal with this creature. Uh, clearly, there was a trait. There was at least one traitor within the Court of Owls that wanted this creature released or or didn't believe that this didn't believe in the existence of this creature. They just wanted to open this mysterious door. I don't really I don't really understand necessarily all of it, but. I, I enjoyed the mystery. I don't need to understand all of it. I, I thought that Christian Ward did a good job of sort of captivating and, and, and sort of captivating uh, the reader. And I was pulled into it. And the art was, ext- uh, the art, he did a fantastic job in the art because I, I felt that this was a mysterious, darker tone. And I liked, I liked how the Court of Owls were, they're, they're like, you know, this one, the, the one Court of Owl, this uh, Lord... Um, uh, Lord Strig 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 Strigaday <laughs> He's uh, he's a businessman who ends up having this. He has to kill one of his minions because his minions discovers and tells the board of directors that the you know the waters the the the, the waterways under Gotham are flooding and it's going to cause chaos and and of course he he doesn't want Gothamites to know that uh, because it's because it's because it's uh, it would otherwise reveal the existence of of this doorway where this creature is imprisoned. So, uh, you know, altogether, the, the way Christian Ward, what really the, the way that he illustrates Gotham, the streets of Gotham, it's uh, Gotham really comes to light here. What I, what I actually kind of like about the coloring that Christian Ward does here is that most artists, when they draw Gotham, it's always so dark. With Christian Ward, he, I actually feel that there's some neon lights in, 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 in Gotham City. Gotham City feels a little bit more modern. It just seems a little bit more colorful. I like his use of colors. Uh, actually, I shouldn't even say is it. Is, yeah, Christian Ward does all the art, but I I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was I thought it was very well done, and I I'm really curious to see where this story goes. I don't, you know, maybe it might be a little bit. I could say it's a little bit derivative. Could I maybe guess some of where the plot points could go? Maybe, but I think this is gonna as an opening issue. I'm I'm in I'm enjoying this as much as I enjoyed the opening issue of Andromeda, although that was written by uh, Ram V. Uh, the art by Christian Ward I thought I thought was really really worked there. This one uh, this one I I didn't think I thought the writing was I'm I'm impressed with the writing I enjoyed it so um, I don't know did, did my opinion surprise you or uh, how did you find it? I didn't know how you were gonna I, I had no preconception on how you might receive it but. 
sounds like you uh, kind of feel the same way as I do about it. It's a great start. Yeah, maybe not the most original ideas, but Ward sells it, like you said, with his use of color, uh, which is so interesting. He uses a lot of bright colors, but he um, he doesn't color or do the artwork in his Bloodstained Teeth series over at Image. He just writes it. Um, uh, but it's very similar in that it's a horror title and a dark title, but it's very brightly brightly colored, which is kind of a juxtaposition. Ward's kind of using that same uh, technique here that the color artist, I can't remember who, Patrick Reynolds is the artist. I can't remember who does the colors, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, this is really interesting. I love the idea of a villain that's sort of inspired by Batman. I mean, Bats and Gotham just sort of go together even before Batman. And if we take the things that Ron V has done in detective comics at face value, you know, we've seen, you know, previous Batman there as well. So yeah, maybe there is something about bats and Gotham city. That uh, is the reason that Bruce Wayne um, ended up taking the, the title of Batman, but this idea of Batman below, I love that idea. I love that name. Um, and the fact that he kidnaps this kid who's there looking for revenge for his father to become his Robin is really interesting as well. The other thing I love about uh, Christian Ward's art is kind of the impressionistic um, details we get at times. You can look no further than his depiction of Two-Face um, and how rather than putting all this detail into the skin, it's it's much more it's a sort of esoteric. You know, you've almost got these floating lines of, of detail and color that convey that uh, – that part of Harvey Dent, that evil part of, uh, of Harvey Dent. I also like sort of the personality. Um, again, it's not the most original CJ Ward. It's not the first person to do it uh, where you've got different uh, colored word balloons and different colored text for uh, which version of Harvey's talking. And that's almost like two versions coexisting. And now we, you know, we were told that there's this other presence in Harvey as well. So how will Two-Face, uh, play into the story, what connection might he have to the Court of Owls or this Batman below. Uh, yeah, Ward is doing a, a great job. Again, we've both said it's not the most original story, but maybe the originality is in how he's putting all this together, right? Like I mentioned the idea of bats being a little more closely tied into the origins of Gotham City than maybe we were previously led to believe. Certainly the Court of Owls has been around for a long time. Which leads me to believe that this Batman below, this bat-like, evil, malevolent entity has been around for a long time. There, That's compelling. That's interesting how it can all be tied in. Um, because, yeah, I, I agree with Rocky. Even though this is out of continuity, it doesn't necessarily feel like it needs to be. Um, so, yeah, I was really impressed with what uh, the creative team did here. Yeah. Uh, okay, up next we have City Boy number five. It's penultimate issue written by Greg Pak. Miku Zhang is the artist. Mike Choi handles the artist of the In the Green sequence. Sebastian Cheng on colors, Wes Abbott on letters. I really enjoyed the interaction between City Boy, who's all about, you know, cities and advancement, urban um, development, trying to get away from things by going out to the country. That's uh, out to nature. That's where Swamp Thing comes in. But even there, he can't really escape it because ants have cities too, right? So that was an interesting um, idea from uh, from Greg Pak, and then we get answers uh, about the final fate of City Boy's mother, <coughs> which his reaction is to be understood. Uh, I think uh, very relatable. Anybody in his situation would 
want to know, especially because his mother went to Bloodhaven and started another family and had an, you know, another child. It's like, well, what was wrong with me that you went off and had another? Clearly, it wasn't that you didn't want kids because you went and had another one. What you know? What was wrong with me? I really can understand the trauma that Greg Pak is infusing City Boy with. So for him to to have that and to sort of lash out after receiving that knowledge from uh, with the help of Swamp Thing, um, and then obviously we have the the servant of Dark Side, you know, observing this um, kind of fr- freak out that City Boy has and saying, "Good boy, Cameron. Good boy." Um, setting up what will be the the conclusion, whether or not Cameron's going to be able to control his abilities, whether or not he's going to be able to reconcile the trauma, whether he's going to have some sense of self-worth, because I think more than anything, that's kind of where the root of his trauma is, right? Like he's, he's a homeless guy. He's kind of out on his own, doing whatever he can to survive. Um, He feels to some extent uh, like a lot of uh, homeless people do, uh, where he's sort of invisible, right? They're ignored. It's a pr- it's a problem. It's not easy to solve. It's easy to you know more easy to ignore it because you feel bad and you worry about making eye contact. You're scared of those people, what have you. So th- there definitely seems to be issues of self worth that Cameron doesn't feel uh, that he has much self worth. And then you add in the fact that his mother abandoned him, and it only adds to that. So in order for him to to fight off um, Dark Side and to not give in to to working for dark side or doing the thing that the dark side wants, he's going to have to find some level of self-confidence and self-worth. So we'll see how that all plays out in the last issue, but really enjoyed the dynamic um, between him and Swamp Thing. Cause it, that idea of a journey for self-worth for Cameron is not so different than the journey that Swamp Thing has had that Alec Holland had had at one point um, when he became Swamp Thing and, you know, thought he was just, uh, his human body had been transformed, try to find a way to transform back, kind of find out his body's been destroyed. Now he inhabits the green and kind of similar to the journey that, um, that Khalid had as well. Right. The, um, Levi Camille, Camille, Levi commit. Yeah. yeah um, had when he became Swamp Thing as well, trying to, to find his identity really, and uh, be able to accept that identity. So it's great work, great art, great color. Uh, really impressed with this city boy series. Uh, I feel like not enough people talking about it's flying under the radar a little bit, um, but it's been absolutely fantastic so far. What were your thoughts? Well, I, I will say that one of the things I think this series has suffered from, for me, has been artist, uh, art. The art has suffered a bit. I, I and in particular, this issue, uh, this issue uh, would have had more resonance for me had the art just been. You know, actually, some of these pages are amazing. I'm on. I'm saying this on a page that's absolutely spectacular. But then I get another page that just seems to be kind of bland. Uh, but you know, f- I think that's because people love drawing artists. I haven't met an artist that doesn't love drawing Swamp Thing. Uh, the great thing about Swamp Thing in this issue is Swamp Thing is such an introspective character, and uh, you know, writer Greg Pak nails it when he has Swamp Thing wisely ask Cameron, you know, what is your unfinished business? So Swamp Thing immediately recognizes that this is this is not an evil kid. This is a kid that you know. This somehow Swamp Thing intuitively knows, and we readers certainly know by the end of this that this this really isn't a story about Dark Side. 
it, it dark side's the consequence but this but this you know we know that if this this kid is a is a tool of dark side that dark side wants to use this kid to basically control all the cities to to make all the cities fiery pits to create to make earth a new apocalypse that's really the ultimate goal here so we know that but the real interesting thing or what one what great pack i i think it's fairly obvious wants to pull the readers in and what Swamp Thing obviously recognizes, even though Swamp Thing doesn't know about Darkseid, I don't think. Swamp Thing knows that there's something else bugging this kid, that if this kid, what is your, he asks him, what is your unfinished business? And the kid says to him, I want to know if she ever loved me. I mean, he's talking about his mother. And it's very heartfelt. It's very heartfelt there. Uh, I do think that I think artistically that, that, that emotion that he's feeling, I think it could have been conveyed a little bit more powerfully, if I'm brutally honest, uh, because uh, I wish that the emotional scenes of when he's reflecting on his mom were as powerful as the scenes where, where, where Swamp Thing is with him and they're, they're attacked, you know, giant ants come out of the ground, which is just amazing. Like there's some, there's some great pages here. And, uh, and it might be that I'm nitpicking, but I, but, but the thing is, the one thing that's drawn me to, kept me on this series has been Cameron's emotional journey and his feeling of loss. Like he wants to know like, mother, how could you not love me? And then, and then the revelation at the end in terms of what was the, what happened to his mother, it wasn't really a particularly, and I think that's going to be the challenge to Cameron. Was it a satisfying enough emotional payoff for Cameron himself uh, upon discovering the fate of his, of his mother uh, moving forward? Because it ends with him potentially, he could go either way. And it looks as if at the end, he's maybe given in to some darker temptations there as Darkseid's minion says, yes, you go, boy, you go. Yeah, encur- encourages him on. So uh, this is this was well done. This was well done. I think it could have been more powerfully resonated on the emotional side. And I think there was some of the art, got, the art wasn't as consistent as I'd like, despite some spectacular pages. Uh, but all in all, I've, th- this is a character that I'm, I'm glad we got this character city boy. It is one of my, I think the one that has the most potential. I still say this is the best character, this best new, this is the best new character to come out of the Lazarus event or the Zaris planet, whatever event that was, I still think he's got the most potential. And I, I do appreciate what Greg Pack's trying to do here. So, so overall, it was a satisfying issue. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with that. I thought you were going to say best of the We Are Legends. I would be like, oh, what about the Vigil? That's a team. <laughs> yeah. And it hasn't been established that they are really tied into Lazarus planet that we got their origin last time, which was turned out was something completely different so yeah i agree best character maybe the only good thing to come out of lazarus planet is uh is city boy so we'll see if that potential is uh realized all right last book we're going to talk about in detail superman lost number seven script is by christopher priest carlo pagulian on pencils jason paws on inks lee weeks handles uh some additional art on pages six through 14 jeremy cox on colors uh, Elizabeth Brightweiser colors those uh, Lee Weeks pages on pages six through fourteen, and then Willie Schubert on letters. Uh, yeah, this has been an interesting ride for uh, Superman during all this. Um, he's he's away from Kansas, the planet that he had for his adopted home for a few decades, uh, and trying to find his way back home in hopes of saving Kansas, uh, which is destined to be destroyed like Krypton was. So, what do you think of this? I, I had uh, I, I enjoyed this, and at the same time, I, I'm actually still I'm still processing my thoughts, and I'm I'm literally in the I I'm, I'm always 
I wish I my, my I wish my thoughts were more processed before I had to comment on it. To be honest, so I'm I'm processing as I'm reviewing it right now, talking. Um, what I got mixed feelings about is there's a little bit of wonkiness with respect to Superman last issue met an older version of himself. And so we got the time wonkiness going on where Superman wants to, he's entered some sort of time displacement, time warp, whatever, wormhole, something to get back to his, to get back to obviously Earth, but he meets an older version of himself and it becomes clear that this older version of himself has actually, this older version of Superman has spoken to multiple different versions of the younger Superman and most of them have have had a certain kind of experience either failing to get back, they've had different varying degrees of success in terms of getting back to Earth and I'm not really sure because it's I don't really understand quite the time loop and the wonkiness and everything, how that exactly works. Although, it, I suppose you don't really have to get it because what the powerful, I think the nature of the story is that we get this sort of, we get this version of events of, of an older Superman who made it back to Earth, uh, but ends up in a wheelchair and... Uh, well, he ends up in a wheelchair and he, it's, it's 15 or 20 years later. Lois has been remarried. He's talking to an older Jimmy Olsen and he seems to have some recollection of what happened to him. But he wants he's, he gets Jimmy Olsen's help to try to put him on, a, on, a, on an airplane or put him on a, on a rocket ship or some sort of satellite so he can get closer to the sun. And then, and then I don't know, presumably go back and undo something but it ends up just being a story that the older superman was telling the the new superman i i, I didn't quite put it all together the the best part of the story for me as it has been from the very beginning has been the, clark kent's journey how superman's relationship with lois superman wants to save his marriage superman knows that he is lost superman isn't just lost in space superman is returned and his mind is lost he can't ground himself anymore he's still 20 years later he's made it back to earth but psychologically he's lost he can't ground himself into this world with lois he he hasn't in his mind he hasn't seen lois in 20 years and his marriage is dying his relationships are dying and he and Superman at the beginning is she was is seeing basically surprises a psycho a, I guess I guess a counselor by the name of Mike, <laughs> and uh, Superman says some very interesting things to this Mike because he wants to, he wants help, and for the first time uh, what I really like it's funny I thought of Tom King's Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow reading this because Superman says to says to him he talks about Kara and he says you know what I never appreciated the trauma that Kara has went through. I just, you know, uh, and just just his comments that um, that the fact that, you know, maybe for the first time and, and I think that's very revealing, you know, what Kara went through was extremely traumatic, far more traumatic than anything Clark went through. And yet here, Clark Superman, for the first time, is maybe experiencing what it's like to live. I mean, Kara was for 14 years on another planet and it was and then an astro, you know, 14 years on Krypton, then then so many months or years on, a, on an astro of Argo City and then destroyed and came back. And then Superman was here. He's at the 14 or 15 or he, for 20 years. He's on another planet. And so I thought that was nice. I like the Christopher Priest made that gave, gave that 
that example of Superman specifically mentioning Supergirl by by having him having a greater appreciation for what she went through and never really understanding it before, but now understands it on a completely more in-depth psychological level. I really like that. And it also gives further props to how just amazing and spectacular Tom King's Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow was, which I still insist was the best Supergirl story in the last two decades at a minimum. But in any event, that's my, you know, propping up Tom King because the guy gets, I think, too much static from too many quarters. So uh, he's due for, uh, well, I I think... uh, He's got, he's got his supporters, and and I, I think you and I are. He's got his eyes Yeah, he's, he's got, got his eyes Yeah, yeah, he can. Yeah, he's, he he drowns his tears in Eisner's. Um <laughs> but <laughs> but in any event, um, I I didn't quite understand the wonkiness of all of this, for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, but Superman makes it through with talking to his older self. His older self basically tells him, never take her for granted. Basically meaning Lois, don't take Lois for granted. And it almost reminds me of how Wally West always thought of Lo- uh, always thought of uh, Linda as grounding him when he gets lost in the speed force. Focus on Linda, focus on family. And it's sort of like Superman flying through a wormhole. Don't, you know, don't take her for granted. Focus on Lois. Focus. She's your, she's your strength. And, and that's what's going to pull him back home. That's, that's the sense that I got out of that. And then lo and behold, at the end, what seems to rescue him, uh, it seems to be uh, out of the blues. Adam Strange pops out of nowhere to, to help him. So, uh, which is not surprising. This is issue seven out of 10. So we're, we're nearing the end of this series. So he's got to get closer to home at some point. But I, there's, there's a lot more I could say about this issue, uh, but I'm still sort of processing it, but uh, it, it, I think maybe it's my, it might be one of my tops, my top picks of the week. If I was to, if I was to maybe had more time to reflect on this, but right now I'm probably going to give that to a, uh, another comic, but I'd be really curious to know your thoughts on this issue. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's not the easiest issue to, to process, right? And it may be one of the situations that Superman lost titles, a situation where it's not until, and this happens a lot with Christopher Priest series, we talk about this. It's one of those situations where not until it's over, do we really, can we really put it all into context? When you hear about that title, Superman Lost, and we speculated what the series would be, was an idea of him being out there lost and trying to get home and having various adventures along the way. And it's sort of become something else than that, something a little more emotional. We're talking about being lost. We're talking about him having lost his connection to to Lois Lane, to home, to and home being uh, Earth, and him really realizing what it means to be from Earth. And despite the fact he's Kryptonian, home is not Krypton. Home is not, you know, an idea of Krypton. Home is Earth, you know. And he mentions it, he mentions it here. Uh, you talked about it. This idea that the only home he's ever known, the only environment he's ever known where he's grown up is earth. Unlike Kara and like Supergirl who has some memories of Krypton and what things used to be like. So this idea of, even though he's made it back home. So the story, the title Superman lost doesn't have to do with the fact he was out there and space got thrown through this singularity through this wormhole and couldn't find his way back home. Um, it doesn't have to do with the search to get back home. It's not the fact he was out there somewhere unknown and was lost. It's about him coming back home and no longer feeling the connection that he feels to the only home he's ever known. To me, that's the idea of him being lost, which is fascinating and much different uh, story than I expected. But 
one thing you know with the Christopher Priest story is to kind of expect the, the unexpected. So in terms of this other older Superman kind of guiding him and showing him other possibilities of possible futures, um, it's interesting, but it doesn't seem to necessarily be the point. But that could have that that could have or possibly should have, some might argue, have been the story that was told and, and maybe what I expected to be told, him having all these various adventures along the way or possible timelines, possible adventures, possible situations to find himself in, helping people out along the way, rather than focusing just on this one planet that he couldn't save, sort of uh, analogous to Earth, if you will, um, where things didn't go the way that he would have liked them to. Now he's back home and he's still lost. He's still missing the connection. So that's fascinating. Uh, Priest's take on Lex Luthor is dead on. <laughs> yeah. The fact that Luthor knows why Lois is there, knows that Lois is sort of trying to, for lack of a better term, use some shock therapy on, on Clark. Hey, if I can get Lex to do something terrible where Clark is like his ability to function and to make connections will be restored because this will sort of shock him into action. He'll remember who he is. He'll remember why he does what he does. Um, that all makes perfect sense to the point that Lex knows it's coming. And from the moment Lois walks in the door, he he's bombarding her with gamma rays to give her cancer, like <laughs> diabolical, evil, yeah. evil awful, man. awful Crazy. thing to do. And, he, and, and, and Lex is like, yeah, it's already done. And I can't undo it. I can't cure cancer. You know, I'm Lex Luthor. I'm a genius, but I, even I can't cure cancer. It's like, dude, you gave her like she could die. Uh, yeah, just the stakes have been raised to the utmost. So if anything's going to shock Superman out of his this fugue that he's in, uh, where he feels sort of lost and disconnected, it's this. Uh, and yeah, the series has been absolutely fantastic. I come to kind of expect this kind of genius storytelling from. Christopher Priest, but I, I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for just how good he is. Uh, we have, what, uh, two more issues? We have issues eight and nine to come. And uh, I can only imagine that the, the shit is going to hit the fan for Luther with what he's done to uh, to Lois. So, yeah, absolutely fantastic. The art by Pagulian is gorgeous as well as it's been throughout. Just uh, dynamic and emotional. We have those pages by Lee Weeks here. Um in sort of the alternate timeline, which work uh, very well also. So I was impressed by that. Mm-hmm. And that does it for um, the, <coughs> excuse me, the individual issues we have this week. Uh, there are a couple of collected editions as well. So we've got the uh, Harley Quinn volume two keepsake trade paperback, which collects the Stephanie Phillips run issues seven through 12. And we've got a Wonder Woman Blood and Guts Deluxe Edition hardcover, which collects Wonder Woman 0 through 12. Uh, that's from the New 52 run, written by Brian Azzarello, art by Cliff Shang. Um, so, as I said, collects a zero issue and then the first uh, 12 issues. And then we also have a Wonder Woman Silver Age Omnibus Volume 2 hardcover, which collects uh, the Wonder Woman title from back in the Silver Age, numbers 1 through 24 through 1 through... 49 in fully restored color. Um, I will say that sometimes when they recolor these things, the color is not the best. So if you're looking to pick that up, since it retails for around a hundred bucks, you might want to take a peek at it first and make sure the, the color work is to your liking. 
so that's it for collected editions. That's it for um, detailed thoughts on single issues. So I guess the only thing we have left to do, Rocky, is give our uh, picks of the week. What do you choose? Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. So let me see. Uh, all right. So I am going to, I have to, I, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm torn between, I like Superman Lost, but I'm going to have to go with, uh, I, I was really impressed with World's Finest Teen Titans and the Sandman, but ultimately, because it's uh, a debut issue, uh, I have to I have to go with Sandman. I have to go with uh, Robert Venditti's Sandman. I enjoyed it. Uh, I think overall, I enjoyed it the most. I was impressed with it, and uh, yeah, I gotta. I'm gonna. Uh, that's my pick of the week. What about you? Yeah, I was kind of thinking I might go Sandman as well. I gave some consideration to Superman Lost. Uh, the Batman City of Madness debut is also excellent. But I really was going between Sandman and Green Lantern. Uh, so you pick Sandman, I'll pick Green Lantern. And I talked about this when I talked about the issue in detail. My, my reasoning for that is it's nostalgia. I got to give nostalgia is a powerful emotion. I got to give it to uh, Jeremy Adams for bringing the, the evil back to Sinestro playing with the dynamic uh, of the friendship between Hal and Barry and continuing to uh, explore that dynamic uh, of a romantic relationship between Hal and Carol. Um, Yeah. It's just a whole heck of a lot of fun. The art's fantastic. Uh, Highly, highly recommend picking up a Jeremy Adams green lantern run. And, and the other thing about it, like we talked about how much we loved his Wally uh, flash run and how family, oriented it was and all ages readers could really check it out. Uh, but there was a little bit of bringing it back to basics. Um, and that, that's definitely the case here with Green Lantern, right? Like I mentioned, it's not out in space with universe or world or multiversal ending threats. It's uh, it's a little simpler. It's a uh, reminiscent of the Green Lantern of a simpler time, which I appreciate, uh, really appreciate. So yeah. So that's my pick of the week. Right on. All right. Well, we hope you guys all enjoyed it. You have anything uh, coming up, Rocky, that you want to mention? Uh, no, I'm just uh, I'm 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 swamped all week. I, I just uh, again, I'll just wish everybody, my Canadian, uh, our Canadian listeners, I guess, uh, a happy Thanksgiving uh, for, for, uh, to Canadians. And I I'm swamped all week, so I I don't have much on the go other than just work, work, work. But uh, what about you? You got any interviews or anything coming out this week? No, nothing this week. Uh, everybody's bandwidth and oxygen's being sucked up by New York Comic Con, which uh, I wanted to be at and planned to be at up until just a few weeks ago. Too much going on with the day job. Couldn't make that work. Um, but yeah, make sure you're following the comic source on social media. I'm sure I'll be tweeting things out, uh, my reaction to various bits of news and what have you. And I might even do uh, a New York Comic Con news wrap up uh, maybe Sunday night if I uh, can make that work, but uh, a lot of comic news to come out of New York. We'll see uh, what, what we have to share with you all on next week's DC spotlight in terms of DC news. So look for that. And then after New York comic con, start getting into the holidays and have the 12 days of the comic source and some creator interviews and, uh, and all that coming up uh, to close out the end of the year. So again, be sure you're following us on social media. Don't forget to follow the comic source on whatever platform, Uh, you enjoy your podcasts on so you can listen to all the other audio content Uh, if you're checking us out audio content on whatever podcast platform you use if you want to check out rocky's other content on the youtube channel 
or see our smiling faces and some of the art on these DC spotlights, be sure you head over to YouTube and subscribe. Just do a search for his channel, Comic Space Boom, exclamation point. Subscribe, ring the notification bell, leave some comments. Uh, we really appreciate the support as always, and we'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.